This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Good morning. It's just after one minute past nine. You are tuned to 102.73 Triple R time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. My name is Bron Burton. And I'm Kate Mills. Hi, Kate. I'm awesome, Bron. How are Excellent. you? Excellent. I'm very good too, thank That's you. That's all right. Very well. Yeah. So I've just come back from a week down at Wilson's Prom. Nice. As you can probably tell by the beard, <laughs> shaved for probably over a Actually, week. I hadn't now. noticed any Yeah, difference. getting a bit feral down there. It was fantastic. Nice weather. It was overcast most of the time, which was great weather for hiking. Unfortunately, it was onshore every day, but I still managed to surf every time my son went to sleep. Very good. Yes. Excellent. Quick prom report to kick off the show. Yeah. Yeah. Get down there. Unfortunately, I left when the sun was shining and the weather's just getting better. Oh, it's always like that. Tends to be, but that's It's hard to drive away from that. Hey, thank you very much, Tim, for Vital Bits, and uh, thank you very much, Andrew, for Soulful Bits. I actually didn't catch Andrew's segment, but I'm assuming it went to air. Tim's not in the green room. Yes, Kent is. Thanks, Kent. Hey, uh, and you can catch Tim, of course, next Saturday morning, 6am for Vital Bits. And then the Saturday morning after that and the Saturday morning after that and the Sundays. Yeah. yeah. He's reliable, isn't he? He is. Yeah. <laughs> hey, massive show today, so we're going to launch straight into it. We're going to shortly be catching up with whale researcher Dave Donnelly on location in Antarctica. You might remember if you were listening a few weeks ago, we spoke with Dave on board the CSIRO research vessel, The Investigator. So we're going to be catching up with Dave about what's happened over the last three weeks of this epic research trip. And I believe he just sent you through a photo, Brian. He did. He did from uh, from snow on the deck of the investigator. So, yeah, it's cold down there. Yeah, slightly different to what we've got coming our way. <laughs> uh, then from Antarctica to the Great Ocean Road, because we're all over the place today uh, geographically, we're going to be speaking with Sam Sunderman from, uh, she's in Anglesey, about next weekend's Wild Women on Water. And I don't know if you remember, we actually spoke with uh, Lissy McDoyle, I think it was, last year about this annual event. Event. This is the ninth one and it's run by the Surf Coast Longboarders Club and it's all really about bringing women together to celebrate, compete and have a fun day out in the water surfing. Sounds fantastic. Pretty cool. Yeah. So this is on next weekend so we'll speak with Sam about that. Then from the west coast to Phillip Island and West Gippsland, we're going to be joined live in studio by artists Mick Turner, who you may also know as the guitarist from Dirty Three. And also the provider of the artwork for the Dirty Three albums. Yes, indeed. And, uh, and, and other bands as well. And Mark Schaller who is a very well-known artist amongst the uh, art community here in Melbourne. They've come together to combine their art in a new exhibition of coastal art called Current Rips and it's kicking off this Thursday at Bright Space in St Kilda. So we're very excited to speak with uh, Mick and Mark about this exhibition. And looking at the weather forecast for Thursday, it'd be a good... Good excuse to get down to St Kilda, <laughs> see some artwork and go for a swim. Absolutely. We'll get onto that in just a sec because we've got a fourth guest who I need Whoa. to mention as well. Big show. Uh, fourth and fifth or fifth and sixth. I'm losing track. Anyway, Jill Solkol and Julian Donlan, they're from Love Your Street. And this is a group that we came across a couple of weeks ago. And I think Neil has mentioned them over the years as well. They're a growing collective of community groups um, around Port Phillip Bay, and they're focusing their energies on stopping marine pollution at its main source, which is city and suburban catchments and streets. Yeah, I'd be fascinated to hear what it is actually find 
on the streets? Like it's interesting. To, we know what we get at the marine debris side of it, but what are we actually getting on the streets and how closely do they correlate? Yeah. So they're, um, it's a super cool group and they are directly connected with their local beach patrol. So beach patrol is another group which is sort of further down the system once you're actually at the beach and all the stuff that's kind of accumulating in the catchments makes its way through the stormwater and ends up on the beach. So these groups are directly connected with their respective beach patrol group and they're kind of starting to join the dots. Hopefully they're making the beach patrol group's job easier because there's less trash turning up now. (laughs) Actually, that's a good point. If they're successful in what they're doing, beach patrol might become redundant. (laughs) Let's let's hope. People can just go to the beach and enjoy. That's it. So you mentioned the weather. Let's do a quick weather report. The weather for the next week. We've got some beautiful days. So for the rest of the day, it is a perfect opportunity to get to the Triple R barbecue day. Mm -hmm. It's going to be 32 today. Uh, with light winds, which will you know help cool us off. There's plenty of shade there. It's serious, so you can sit in the shade and enjoy it. Then tomorrow we're off to 33 degrees. Tuesday 27, Wednesday 30, Thursday 35, Friday 34, and Saturday 38. There's lots of threes in the weather going on there, so <laughs> it's it's going to be hot. It's going to be nice. Find an excuse to get to the beach. I should be down the prom this week. Yeah. So snapshot of this is that it's not really going to drop below 27 until at least next Sunday and most of the next week it's going to be in the low 30s. Yep, so shorts and T-shirts all week. There you go, your wardrobe's planned. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you can go off to work tomorrow in shorts and T-shirt. You've heard it from Cade Mills. That's it. And considering I'm paternity leave, you can go off to work with whatever you like. (laughs) Hey, we've got about, uh, well, we've got a couple of minutes before we're going to launch into a track and um, hopefully Dave's going to give us a quick call. We do. I had just a quick one that I saw come up in the article in Nature Communications, which the title was Ocean Colour Signature of Climate Change. So basically what it is is climate change continues. They're saying that our oceans will become bluer. So our blue waters will become bluer and our green waters will become bluer. And basically it sounds like sounds like awesome if you're a diver. Mm. You're like, wow, climate change is really good. We're going to be able to see more. But unfortunately the reason that the water is going to become clearer is due to declines in phytoplankton. Right. So what they're saying is using the satellite imagery, they actually use that to detect um, chlorophyll. And this imagery is actually going to start, it's starting to show that basically areas that are becoming clearer or the water is actually reflecting back and it's becoming a lot bluer. So they're able to basically use that as an indicator of climate change in these areas. So, you know, phytoplankton is the basis of our food chain and it's also basically the biggest carbon sink on the planet. Mm. So it's just, I guess, another way that scientists is you know basically finding ways of detecting climate change and you know mm. getting an idea of some of the impacts that it's going to have but it'd be interesting to hear what dave's up to down in antarctica's gone no there was a bit of stuff around krill but also phytoplankton down there as well so we'll see if any of that sort of links in yeah if you missed uh last when we caught up with dave um three weeks ago the purpose of the trip was to really look at the connection between whale uh, abundance and where they were migrating um, and where krill abundance was as well and nutrient cycling what, what's the sort of the role of nutrient cycling in this so yeah really looking forward to hearing what they've discovered yes yes yeah. so what's yeah that, that was whales? that was my quick thing on the water getting bluer and phytoplankton suffering yep unfortunately but um 
it's often some of these things with climate change it's like a double-edged sword you have that idea oh wow the water's going to be clearer fantastic yeah but yeah the reason why is not necessarily the nicest hey i think uh, dave's trying to get through we might put on a track and you may recall you might not know a couple of days ago it was announced that um, peter talk from the monkeys had passed away we're a big fan of the monkeys here at triple r and me personally so uh it seemed appropriate to play this song at this time this is the porpoise song Monkeys there and the porpoise song was taken from uh, the soundtrack to Head movie that they made back in 1968. It's 9.13 and you're listening to Radio Marinara here at 3RRR. Now, three weeks ago, we caught up with Dave Donnelly on board the CSIRO research vessel, The Investigator. And at the time, Dave was well into the sub-Antarctic, although yet had made it all the way to the Antarctic continent. Three weeks on, the researchers on board The Investigator have had a whale of a time and are about to wrap up their fieldwork and head north back to the Australian mainland. To find out what's transpired over the last three weeks, we're very happy to welcome back live on location our very own Radio Marinara Antarctic correspondent Dave Donnelly from <laughs> Killer Whales Australia. Good morning, Dave. Welcome back. Good morning, Brian, and good morning, Kate. Hey, Dave. <laughs> well, went quiet for a second there. I was a bit worried. Um, now, uh, when we caught up with you, Dave, things were just getting going for you and the 40-odd researchers on board the investigator. What's happened since then? Uh, quite a lot, Bron. We've been very, very busy with a number of projects going all simultaneously. We're currently at 65 to 37 south. We've covered 5,500 5, nautical miles. We've detected 21,000 plus blue whale calls. <sighs> Temperature's currently 4.7 degrees and we've got snow on the deck. <laughs> I can't write all those figures down fast enough. Can we go back to the number of calls that you've, uh, you've managed to locate? Was that 21,000? Yeah, that's the acousticians uh, analysing calls to put us on acoustic bearings to blue whales. So the number of calls they've recorded so far is around 21,000 and growing. We're currently on a bearing to a blue whale as we speak, and we just left a sperm whale. So it's been a busy morning. <laughs> Go, Kate. I was curious, with those calls, can you identify individuals or is it just they're blue whales and that's as much as you know? All we can tell is that they are blue whales and it's thought that it's mostly or if not exclusively the males making those noises. There's a range of calls, but we're focusing in on what we call D calls and Z calls, which are mostly associated with feeding, and that's what we're interested in. Um, I was going to ask you about the whale searching over the last few weeks, but I think you've answered it. You sent through some great uh, photos of some uh, fin whales breaching, which I've already put on our uh, Facebook page, our Radio Marinara Facebook page. Can you describe fin whales and how are they different to sperm whales and other whales that you're coming across down in Antarctica? Well, the fin whales are, are very, um, I guess, prevalent down here. They're the most common species we're currently seeing in this area. Uh, and uh, second to that is humpback whales. But fin whales are the second largest of the whale species. They're a baleen whale, and they also make uh, very low-frequency calls, but also hang out in aggregations of sometimes more than 100 animals. And uh, we've, we've had no shortage of fin whales during this voyage, which have, uh, have been very clever at uh, mimicking themselves as blue whales, which means we uh, have to get through a bunch of fin whales to get to our blue whales, unfortunately. But they're a beautiful-looking whale, and they've been very interesting to look at. Do you have a favourite? 
Uh, personally, my interest is in killer whales, but um, of course. But um, I, I do have a bit of a soft spot for the fin whales. They're a beautiful-looking whale. They move fast. They're uh, interested in the vessel at times, so it's easy to take photographs of them. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really nice whale to see. But, of course, the blue whale is the reason we're here, as well as the krill and, and other associated um, oceanography and uh, things we find in the water column. Yeah, when we last spoke with you, we talked about the relationship between whale presence and migration patterns and krill population dynamics and nutrient cycling. Uh, that was three weeks ago. What have you found out since then? Uh, well, since then, we've been very lucky. The, the krill team have been busy. They've had uh, 37 targeted uh, krill trawls, which is derived from acoustic um, detections of krill. Um, and they're doing some experiments looking at the growth rate of, tr- of krill. But probably the most interesting thing that we've been able to, um, to see here with the krill team working so hard is some of the 3D animations they produce of krill form. Uh, we had one the other day, which was 400 by 200 by 50 metres in diameter or in size, and it's estimated that that was probably estimating around about a weight of about 120 tonnes. But since then, we've had much larger krill swarms, which have not been modelled, but the estimated tonnage is about 1,000 tonnes of krill in one form. Right, wow. Stuff. That's amazing. Is there any, uh, are they kind of where you're expecting them to be? Are there sort of any patterns to where their presence is? Yeah, look, it's, um, I guess what we're doing here is we're, we're using the acoustic bearings to get to areas where blue whales are. And where you find blue whales, you typically find krill. Where you find krill, you find other baleen whales. So I guess from that perspective, yes, we are finding krill and whales in areas we expect. However, we're not just going to the Southern Ocean blindly. We've got a lot of tools um, at our disposal to help us locate these things. So it's kind of cheating, but in a way, it, it makes this, this work a lot more efficient. And to give it some context, in you know 30-odd voyages during uh, the late 80s through the 90s, only, only 400 blue whales have been detected. We, we've already photographed. Uh, over 20 animals just in the couple of weeks we've been down here. So it does prove that that method is much more efficient and a very good way of detecting blue whales, which are very sparse. Yeah, no, I just wanted to go back to the krill and the modelling work that you're doing there and you're talking about finding them. So is that using a side scan sonar or what sort of equipment are you using to actually find these krill? The guys are using uh, a combination of about three or four different techniques. Uh, multi-beam is one. They can look sideways, forwards and backwards around the ship to a distance of 200 to 500 metres to search for krill. Um, they're also using various frequency echo sounders to measure the density of the krill. Um, so there's a lot of technology going on down in the bowels of the ship, which is producing these fantastic opportunities for trawling as well as modelling these krill swarms, which really is the basis of how this ecosystem works. And now I don't know if I missed this, but you were talking about the tonnage of them. What's that as far as the size? Like how big are these sort of schools or groups of krill when you come across them? Uh, well, the one that was measured and has been modelled and can be seen on the Antarctic Division website was 400 by 200 by 50 metres. Um, so that was about 100 tonnes, 100, 120 tonnes. Uh, but since then, as I mentioned earlier, a 1,000 tonne estimate has been, measured, been seen but not properly modelled in the 3D modelling. So you can imagine the size of that space. Um, 
Dave, uh, last time we spoke with you, we were talking about one of the aims of the trip was to try and go and actually collect some whale waste or whale poo, whale faeces. And we talk, you were talking about um, the possibility of using a drone to go out there and locate it. What's happened with that? I'm absolutely fascinated by this one. That, that's a great question, Bron. Unfortunately, I haven't got the answer we have. Um, first of all, we've got to find whales when they're defecating, and that's hard enough. We've only encountered that twice. Do they make a special call? <laughs> uh, you have to ask the acousticians, okay? Um, yeah, you, the, unfortunately, the drone with a payload, which is about a five-metre string with a, a small sample jar on the end of it, can fly in only the most perfect of conditions. Unfortunately, that hasn't been possible at the times that we've seen the whales uh, pooing at the surface. But we have been able to get water samples from around uh, different icebergs, um, use a different method to try and get efficient water sampling beyond the ship's immediate base, which, um, of course, will give you an indication of what the contaminant loads might be around the ship with natural or falling off of anti-valve and other things like that. So that's been successful, but that's the poo collection, not so successful. Well, I'm curious, once you do get this holy grail, what are you hoping to find out? Uh, well, that's a good question too. That's a question for the biochemist. Um, unfortunately, my extent of my knowledge does not go down to the poo level. Um, <laughs> but uh, those guys are very excited about the possibility of um, being able to do that. Um, right now... Uh, I think it's more of a, a, a bit of a wish than a, an expectation of this voyage. But if the, if the opportunity does present, certainly we'll be giving it another go. And today is a good day for that. It's quite calm today and we're, we're currently on approach to it. It looks like, out, looking out the window, it looks like it could be a blue whale. So we'll wait and see. That's fantastic. What are you uh, hoping to do if you come across the blue whale? What, what's, what happens then? Are you going to be taking lots of photos and recording acoustics? And, and what will happen actually when you get there? You guys are full of great questions this morning and it's uh, fitting in with this, this fact sheet that I put together. approach to a blue whale. This wasn't planned, by the way. No, it wasn't. On approach to a blue whale, we have a system in place which begins with, of course, the sighting, the slowing of the ship, and then we move into what's called video tracking mode. And that's videoing the uh, animals and their movements, counting their blow rate and filming all this a distance that we expect we're not having an impact on its behaviour. Once that section of it is complete, which usually takes between half an hour and an hour, we'll then move into photo identification mode, which is a closer approach and will probably disturb the animal. And that's what to allow us to get photo identification of the animal. Interestingly, yesterday we photographed an animal that we sighted on the first voyage of the Blue Whale Project in 2013. So that's our first re from one uh, voyage to another. Uh, so that's very, very exciting for us. And that animal's a uh, fair way across to the west from where we saw it last time near the Ross Sea. From that point, if there's time... Um, oh, sorry, we combine that with also UAVs, which we're using uh, for photogrammetry, which is taking photos of the animal from above and using, using measurements of the animals to score its body condition. Um, from that point on, we move into biopsy mode, which uh, so far hasn't taken place where we approach to a distance of around about 20 metres to hopefully get a biopsy sample from one of these uh, huge blue whales that we're encountering down here. But so far we haven't got to the biopsy stage just yet. Yeah. Hey, uh, we're going to let you go in a sec, Dave. I just had one last question about when are you going to head back and what's left for you to do on this trip? 
there's always so much more left to do, as we all know. <laughs> um, we're going to leave here with a bucket load of data and wishing we could have got more. And being in probably about two or three days um, and making tracks for Hobart. And we'll also be looking for pygmy whales along the way with our phone boys. And hopefully along that trek we can encounter some of them and get some photo IDs of those guys with an expectation to be back in court around about the 5th of March. Um, that is, if the big northerly that are expected don't slow us down too much. Yeah, right. And um, thanks for sending that photo through this morning. It's of the, the deck of the investigator with snow all over it. I noticed there's a boom that's um, out the front. It's got triple X written on it. I'm wondering if you can get out a red pen and maybe turn that X into an R. <laughs> Look, that's what Photoshop's for. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, if you're, if you're adept at using Photoshop, we look forward to seeing the result of that, Dave. I'll, uh, I'll put it up to the, uh, the IT guys and see what they can do. <laughs> uh, but that's a great idea. Um, I'll send you through a photo of our snow whale that was built a few nights ago when the, uh, the crew were flying off some steam at the end of the day's work. We, uh, we made a snow whale on the desk, so I'll send you a photo of that. <laughs> that would be awesome. Hey, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Uh, it's been awesome being able to catch up with you live on location in Antarctica. And once you're, uh, once you're back and settled um, back here in Victoria, we'd love to have you in studio and, and talk more about this uh, trip and what you've discovered but also what's coming up for Killer Whales Australia because of course whale watching season is only going to be just around the corner so look forward to speaking with you then Absolutely Brian it's always a pleasure and, and I must have to say at all times it is big team effort down here it's got nothing to do with just one person we all work as a big team I'm merely uh, speaking for the 30 or 40 other people that are on board today Awesome, thanks so much Dave we'll catch you soon Great to talk to you guys if wonderful as always. Thanks. Bye for now. Bye-bye. We've been speaking with Dave Donnelly on board the CSIRO, CSIRO vessel, the investigator, live in Antarctica. They know how to have some fun too, don't they? I'm looking <laughs> forward to this whale picture. <laughs> Me too. Hey, 9.26, nearly 9.27, you're listening to Radio Marinara here on 3RRR. I uh, want to give a quick plug to RRR Barbecue Day, which is taking place today from midday until 4pm. As always, we're uh, returning to Ceres Environmental Park in Brunswick East. It's free and of the day will be broadcast live on Triple R. They've been Triple R staff here this morning, early this morning, and uh, they're heading down to Ceres now to set up. It's going to be an absolute perler of a day if you missed the weather forecast at the start of the day, heading for a top of 32. Yeah, beautiful. Please Absolutely sit in the gorgeous. Shade, keep hydrated. Yeah. So you can get down there as early as midday. Eat It crew will be broadcasting live till 1, followed by Still Here until 2, and then the JVG radio method, of course, bringing it all home with an all-star cast from 2 till 4pm. The Brunswick East Primary School Grillers are on the barbecue catering for carnivores and vegos and the triple r bar will be up and running thanks to mountain goat beer so this is a permanent move to february which is a good thing weather's much more consistent weather's consistent and you know we're out of that kind of pre-christmas end of the year frenetic activity so we can all just get down there and chill and enjoy the afternoon get down there and enjoy barbecue day Coming up to 9.28, a couple of station announcements. Then we're going to be speaking with Sam Sunderman about wild women in surf. Ngambi comes alive this March with the Ngambi on Water Festival. Set on the beautiful Lake Ngambi and Goulburn River Valley in the heart of Victoria, only 90 minutes from Melbourne. With events across three days, including the feature Mitchelton Swim, Ilura Colour Splash and more. Plus the Go Ngambi Whiskey Wine and Water Bar featuring local wines and Starwood Whiskey. Friday, March 1st to Sunday, March 3rd. For more info, visit ngambionwater.com 
www.theatrecompany.com.au. Triple R sponsors. Melbourne Theatre Company presents the world premiere of Arbus and West. Drawing on actual events between two extraordinary women, Australian playwright Stephen Sewell imagines what might have transpired between Hollywood bombshell Mae West and legendary photographer Deanne Arbus. Two American icons, one infamous photo shoot. Arbus and West plays from February 22 at Arts Centre Melbourne. Tickets via mtc.com.au. Melbourne Theatre Company, Triple R Sponsors. 9.29, this is Radio Marinara. Now next Sunday, Saturday, better get the date right, Saturday, March the 3rd, Surf Coast Longboarders Club is hosting the ninth Wild Women on Water. It's an event bringing women together to celebrate, compete and have a fun day in the water. To tell us all about it, we're now welcoming live on the line organiser Sam Sunderman. Good morning, Sam. Welcome to Radio Marinara. It's great to have you on board. Good morning, Bron. Thanks for having me. Now, congratulations uh, on the ninth time for Wild Women on Water. And for our listeners who maybe missed our chat with your co-organiser, Lissy McDoyle, last year, can you give us a quick snapshot of what happens on the day? Yeah, sure. So um, we're based on the surf coast, so we've got quite a lot of women and um, girls who surf down here. Um, and a lot of them don't have the chance to kind of begin competition, surfing competition in a safe um, environment. So we just provide um, the event Wild Woman on Water for, um, we've got, I think sometimes we've got four-year-olds, the youngest, and then um, like my mum surfs and a few of her friends, some who are over 60. And um, we've got um, Grom Division. So Grom is a junior surfer, so under 18 open women um, and then we've got some age divisions so over 40 and over 50 and um, women from all over Victoria um, just enter the event and it's a really fun and encouraging um, chance for them to try competitive surfing. Sam how long have you been involved with it both as a surfer and also now on the organising committee? Um, It was probably one of the first competitions that I surfed in when I was younger maybe 13 or 14 um and that was a really fun event for me to compete in and we actually put the event on hold for a few years and just the last um three years we've kind of um got it going again and reinvented it a bit so um since then um in my early 20s um i've been on the organizing committee and it's really cool to first um, be able to surf in it as a young um, a young surfer and now be able to give back to the next generation of surf groms. Fantastic. Uh, I was having a look on your website last night and I saw uh, it says participants can look forward to welcome to country ceremony followed by yoga on the beach and a massage therapist on hand to limber up participants between events. It sounds just culturally in so many different ways and so many different um, d- you know, different uh, elements to it. There's just so much to enjoy, isn't there? Do you find that? It, people get down there and just kind of sink into a really incredible vibe. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a really amazing vibe um, and it is quite spiritual. You know, we start around 7 in the morning. We've got um, Karina Eccles, which is a, she's a, um, a local Wadarong elder and she does the... Um, welcome to country and as the sun's coming up it's just quite a surreal experience and then everyone's just got these really good um vibes throughout the whole event and as you said there's yoga um sometimes there's a masseuse on on board so yeah it's just it really gets the event going um and even spectators are 
very welcome to come down and we encourage lots of people to come down and experience uh, women surfing on the on the surf coast. Now, in addition to celebrating women surfing, this is actually a fundraiser, isn't it? Can you tell us about the charity yeah. that you're supporting? Yeah, sure. So this year, um, Point Impossible is actually a very significant cultural site for the Wadarong people. And um, what's happened is there's no signage or information for people to actually know that. Um, so there's been quite a lot of um, deterioration and destruction of the local midden sites and significant sites. So we're going to work with um, Great Ocean Road Coast Committee and the Wadarong people, um, especially Karina, and we're going to be putting up signage that um, acknowledges the Wadarong people as the traditional owners of the land and also provides a lot of information on the history um, and cultural significance of Point Impossible. Absolutely fantastic, Sam. Uh, we're going to have to move on in just a sec. Uh, I know you've got some great sponsors of your event, but without sort of listing them all, because I think there's about 20 of them, <laughs> do you want to give them a quick yeah. shout-out? Yeah, so thanks to, um, I think I was counting this morning, there's about 23 um, all-local um, Surf Coast um, businesses and companies who have provided um, products that can go towards the prize draw. So just a big shout-out to everyone. Um, you know who you are and you definitely make the event possible. So thanks so much. That's awesome. We'll put a link to what you're doing on our Facebook page and then our listeners can go and check out the sponsors there as well. Uh, now, apart from that link, if people just sort of want to get on board now, how? because I won't get around to that till this afternoon, how can people yeah. register or find out more information? Yeah, sure. So the easiest way is to look up Surf Coast Longboarders um, Facebook, Instagram or um, just Google we've got a website surfcoastlongboardersclub.com and there'll be um, links to register and more information about the event. That's awesome Sam thanks so much for joining us it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you and all the very best for the event next Saturday so I'm just going to make a point of that next Saturday if you want to get on board and register uh, good to do that as soon as possible and have a wonderful weekend yeah, thanks so much, Bron. You too. Yeah, awesome. We'll catch up with you again soon. Bye for now. Bye. Sam Sunderman there, Wild Women on Surf. Fantastic. Good Sorry, I'm still here. I was just listening. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. 9.35 coming up to, and this is Radio Maranoa. In just a moment, we're going to be joined in studio by artists Mark Schaller and Mick Turner talking about new exhibition coming up this week at Bright Space St Kilda called Current Rips. And uh, while we get Mark and Mick in studio, we're going to have a listen to a track by Dirty Three. This is from Ocean Songs. It's called Black Tide. Black Tide there from Dirty Three from uh, their album Ocean Songs from back in 1998. It's coming up to 9.39. You're listening to Radio Marinara here on 3RRR. Now, our next two guests have spent significant time both on the ocean, on surfboards or by it, capturing on canvas the essence of the magnificent coastlines around Phillip Island and West Gippsland. Turn Mick Turner's art is synonymous with the recordings of Dirty Three as well as being the group's guitarist. His art has adorned the covers of Dirty Three albums. Mark Schaller was a founding member of the original
Aboriginal Raw Studios, a contingent of artists who set up a cooperative in Fitzroy in 1982. Today marks one of Australia's most highly recognised and respected mid-career artists with a strong interest in expressionism and primitivism, we can ask him what that means, that continues to be reflected in his art. Mick and Mark have now come together to combine their art in a new exhibition called Current Rips. It opens this coming Thursday, 28th of February at Bright Space in St Kilda. Good morning to you both. Uh, Mark, firstly, <laughs> welcome to Radio Marinara. Hi, and, thank and you. Is this your first time here at Triple R? Uh, I was. I would go on a show years and years ago called uh, Gotham City Gossip. Oh, yeah. Roger Taylor. I think it was on Saturday mornings. But I would also listen to that show intently and did some of my best paintings listening to Roger's show. So yeah. it was quite inspiring. Fantastic. And yeah. Mick, welcome back. I had a look at my notes and it's 2014 was the last time we had you in for the launch of um, your Surf Beach Postcards exhibition yeah right that's right so that was a while ago it was um sensational exhibition i went along and i can't believe it's been five years what have you been up to since then um oh much much of the same really i think just uh, doing a lot of painting and um and still playing music and yep and um i'm a surf lifesaver now Recently. Oh, okay. You've gone to the dark side then as a surfer. <laughs> is, that, is that what they say? I, I've clubby. heard that said before. Yeah. I'm not saying it myself. <laughs> well, clubbies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well I, um, I, the, a lot of people get caught in rips around where I am and um, I've often brought people in and I wanted to learn the first aid and... Okay. How was that experience? I know I'm going completely um, off topic, but I'm, I'm fascinated how you found sort of becoming a surf lifesaver well, I, I just involved. did the um the bronze medallion course yeah uh, they, they run a will, will my surf life saving club run a, a adult uh bronze medallion course mm-hmm. which um involves learning things like cpr and oh lots of things um, yeah, right. how, to ha- how to handle different surf conditions and swimming in, in the open ocean. And Does it also have, like, where to put the flags in, yeah, like, yeah. at the most inconvenient yes. spot for surfers? <laughs> <laughs> Is yeah. that part of it too? Yeah, what, what to yell at surfers. Yeah. <laughs> and, get a, and get a cool whistle that's really ear-piercing. <laughs> How did you guys actually meet? Was it, um, I was hoping it wasn't over some territorial dispute over a wave. Because you surf too, don't you, Mark? Uh, yeah, uh, Raw Studios would have bands often that do fundraising, and Mick um, was performing in quite a few bands back then. Yeah, we did a lot quite of a few, benefits yeah. for Raw Studios, and yeah. well, it was all a, a early community, 80s. really, the artists mm. and musicians yeah. in those days. And so, the decision to bring your art together, when did that happen? Was that something that you cooked well, up yourselves? We both we both got places at Phillip Island, and. Um, and we were, oh, we were both interested in, do, in doing plain air, which is when you go out on site and and paint landscapes and things. So um, we just decided to do that and have an exhibition. To yeah, I read um, in the press release that came out from your publicist that 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 
style of painting is considered to be almost it's old-fashioned or antiquated she didn't quite use that word but it was it's something that's a bit unusual these days is that true well i suppose we're just out there in the in the landscape and we're looking at whatever's there and it's not filtered it doesn't come you know there's no computer involvement and there's no social media involved it's not it's just us with the so i suppose when they say antiquated they mean that you know this isn't it's not it's not a groovy thing to do really yeah to it's to kind of to make the most of all the current technology and yeah they th- it's considered to be passe in a way i suppose but if you're out there standing with a brush it gives anyone open license to come and start a conversation <laughs> <laughs> And Does that happen? You encounter yeah, quite, all the quite time. unusual it's people, good. yeah. yeah. Um, Kate, you were saying you were down at the prom last weekend and you noticed mm. there was a bit of this going on. Yeah, well, I'd never heard the expression like plein air and oh, then I looked it up and my wife explained it to me. She speaks French, so she explained it to me and then I was down at Squeaky Beach and there was a whole group of people sitting there doing it. And one of the things that I was wondering, and I guess I can ask you, is timelines. Like, mm. Do you start getting a bit quicker with your painting? Is the sun starting to set or something? Or do you set yourself? sort of times and how do you pick your days as well? Well I think that's pretty interesting because I I attack it with all different approaches and depending on and we might sit in one spot and Mick will look the other way or I will look and sometimes you'll just sit there and contemplate what it might be that you're um, that you're looking at or that you want to somehow interpret and it's a you know it's about the perception of the place it's um, so you're immersed in it in a way which is you are completely unlike being in the studio it's um, a whole other way of do you revisit a painting so if you get to the end of the day and you're like um you're not quite happy with it or you think you're missing will you go back to the same spot take your camera and continue so it's a multiple day it can be a multiple day or or you do it in the studio Mm. you finish in the but you have to work quickly when you're out there um and also using oil paint's terrific because it's you know it's it's it doesn't dry that quickly so it's it's fluid in a way and you can move it around and take it off and put it on and do you find that bugs get stuck in it absolutely yeah. and, and, <laughs> and you sand. know bright cadmium yellow i mean the bees are really attracted to that and yeah i get visits from echidnas and bull ants and um, all kinds <laughs> of fun yeah cool and, and mother's groups <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting collection there. How would you describe your style and and your approach? I suppose we've talked a bit about your approach, but um, I understand stylistically you're very different from each other. I mentioned earlier in my introduction, and I I so clearly got this from the press release, expressionism and primitivism. Mm, I like Um, that. Yeah. Well, I think that's terrific too because I look at Mick's picture after I've had a bit of a crack at it and our perception of it is very, very different, I think, and... Um, you know, although we might be aiming at the same thing, it's um, it's uh, it varies, and uh, you know, I'm kind of in, I think Mick has a good a- approach. Yeah. You know. Does it say where I am there? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure we're over there. <laughs> yeah. I'll have a flick through my notes, but no, I don't think so. I think in terms of, you know, being... Actually, one thing that the press release did talk about was the uh, influence of angry penguins as an influence on both of your different styles of art. Mm. Um, can you tell us a little bit about angry penguins? Well, at Phillip Island there, they're no longer called... They used to be called the fairy penguins. And now they call them the little penguins, but the angry penguins were a group of artists in Melbourne in the 50s. And, um, you know, there was Sid Nolan and 
um, Charles Blackman and ah. Daniela Vassilia. I think he was part of it, but um, I think they had a magazine called Angry Penguins. But that's yeah. where they got their name. Yeah. Huh. Do you know much about them, Mick? Some. Right. Um, but the it's Heidi group as well. They were kind of at Heidi, I suppose. Yeah, John Percival. Yeah. Charles Blackman. Yeah, all, all really terrific figurative artists. Yeah. Let's go to your exhibition, Current Rips. How did you land on the name? Let's start with the name. Uh, we tossed a few ideas around. Um, I think Brightspace kind of made the decision in the end. Yeah. And what have you got um, on exhibition? What can people expect um, to see when they go? There'll be uh, all lots of landscapes of, of Phillip Island. Um, <clears throat> I've got a few sculptures in there too. Um, I mean, we paint quite differently, but they're um, w- yeah, they're recognisable as landscapes. Um, I've been doing a lot of seascapes or trying to, and in a way, it's yeah, my seascapes. it's my white whale. I think I'm um, you know <laughs> trying to get the movement, but it's, it's it's a difficult one. There's amazing an amazing piece which Kylie's used in the promotional uh, material that came through called Woolamai which is, looks like a whole lot of really... Um, uh, angry is the word I can think of it, waves coming into the surf. Maybe that's one of yours, Mick. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'll have to have a look. I mean, the weather, it's pretty... Um, anyone who knows Phillip Island, is, it's a windy place. It's, you get a lot of weather there. Um, so I think a lot of our paintings reflect the, the energy in the... Mm, the drama. The drama in the landscape, it's... It's a beautiful place. How do you go about choosing the location? Do you have that sort of predetermined or you just wake up in the morning, look at the winds and the weather and go, oh, this is probably the best spot to go today? Yeah, yeah. that's it, the wind mainly. Although, yeah. Really, yeah. And, and recently I really wanted to paint the beach of Colonnades, which is near Mark's house, um, just up from Woolmai. It's up from Woolmai, but it was a... It, I don't know, 60 kilometre winds or something. But I, I did it. I went down there. It wasn't easy. Yeah, but it was extreme um, painting. Yeah, extreme painting. <laughs> <laughs> shit on the edge exciting. of a cliff. Yeah. It's like a new shot. Yeah. Yeah. Start trembling. It was quite a big yeah. canvas. So, yeah. <laughs> almost took off. Yeah. Lucky we didn't lose you. You might have found yourself blowing. Yeah, the towards. local paper at Phil Island, the, all the photos, every, everyone's hair is just like everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind. Of, that's the quintessential um, photo, particularly down at the Nobbies, isn't it? You have to stand at the Nobbies and have your hair kind of blowing in fifteen different directions. Yeah. Yeah. So this is just a logistics question then. So how do you get your canvases to stay on, stay put when you're doing it? Like, are they clamped in well, position? We, we and don't you, use you um, easels. We just find you know a rock or a branch or something to put them on and and position them so they won't fly off. So there's no easels. It's just whatever's there. Mm. Mm. So, and consequently, you get a bit of sand on them and things. Yeah. Mm. It, it, that that's makes... incidental art, isn't mm. it? When you, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Mick was doing one the other day and he dropped it in the sand, but funnily enough, the the bit of sand landed on what was the sand. What was oh. the sand? We're speaking with uh, Mark Schaller and Mick Turner about an upcoming exhibition called Current Rips. Opens this Thursday? Yes. 6.30. 
Bright Space. Yeah. Or six o'clock? Six. So Bright Space is at 8 Martin Street in St Kilda. 8 Martin Street is just sort of tucked in off um, Brighton Road just as you're heading down towards Carlisle Street. So it's in that area there. It's a, it's a beautiful big gallery with lots of light. Yes. And, um, yeah. And, and there will be um, some artworks online for people to look at at some point soon. If you go to the Bright Space website... Great. Which is just brightspace.com.au, I think. Fantastic. Um, we'll put a link to that on our Facebook page too. And people can purchase artwork if they want to do that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah? Awesome. Thanks so much for coming in. You haven't come up from the island, have you? No. Be a long way to come on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Get back down there and go for a surf today. All, yeah, all the best with the exhibition. Yeah. And it runs until, I should say that as well, runs until 16th of March, I believe. Yep, so opening this Thursday, 28th of February and running until 16th of March at Brightspace. Thanks so much for coming in. It's been great catching up with you again. Yeah, thank you. And great to meet you, Mark. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, 9.51, listening to Radio Marinara on 3RRR, a couple of station announcements, and then we're going to be joined in studio by Jill Sokol and Julianne Donlan from Love Our Street. Now, after decades of campaigning, a big problem of litter in the marine environment and the damage it causes to marine life is finally making mainstream media. It's in general conversation, it's a hot topic in primary schools, and the message is getting through. Well, sort of. The next big step's acknowledging that for the vast majority of litter, the source is not actually from the coast at all. It's coming from suburbia. Jill Sokol and Julian Donlan have done that and beyond. They're litter champions with a group called Love Our Street. It aims to bring people together as a community to look after our environment, keep our streets beautifully clean and stop litter getting into our creeks, canals, onto the beach or in the ocean. Good morning, Jill. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Oh, it's a pleasure. And good morning, Julian. Morning, Brian. And uh, welcome to Triple R and to Radio Marinara. It's great to have you here. Um, Jill, we'll start with you. You were a founder with Love Our Street. Where did it all begin? It began with my journey. I was a long-term member of Beach Patrol, Elwood and St Kilda, and realised that I could forever be picking up rubbish from the beach. It was really coming from the five million people that live in metropolitan Melbourne, washing down the drains into the rivers and then back onto the beach. We could pick up that litter forever. We had to stop it closer to the source. Yeah, Neil Blake talks about this a lot and in the in the context of this is treating the symptom and not the cause and until we kind of have that mind shift, it's just going to keep continuing. Absolutely, and that's why I call Love Our Street singular street. What I want people to do is to walk outside their door, notice what's there and pick it up right on their patch. So it started with one group and then more and more groups came on board. How That's did that, it. How did That's that happen? It. So uh, we started in 2015 in Elwood and then the Port Melbourne people picked it up. And then because I had a Bay Fund grant from the state government, I was able to roll things out to groups like Caulfield. And I might get Julian to talk about the individual group and then we'll talk later perhaps about the other groups that are available. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, Julian, tell us about Caulfield. So this is 3162. I love how your names of your spe- specific groups are all your postcodes. Makes it easy. That's right. It's all about the local area. So our group started a year ago, December 2017. Uh, we meet once a month on a weekend for an hour, pick up rubbish, then go and have a coffee afterwards. How many people have you got in your group? Roundabout, we have uh, our measure is we have a few new faces every week, but probably yep. about 20 regulars uh, who enjoy coming down, um, interacting with each other. Um, it's kind of it's kind of like the feeling you used to get from um, going to church. You uh, <laughs> do something practical <laughs> together for an hour over a weekend um, yep. with faces that you may not see every time, but you get to know as you do it. Yeah, fun. fantastic. Do you get together with the other groups and compare notes? 
We've had, all our data is collected with Beach Patrol on on their site, so we're able to see the aggregation of all the rubbish we collect off the streets and that's really important for advocacy reasons. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that connection, that direct connection you have with Beach Patrol because it really joins the dots, doesn't it, between what goes on up in the catchments and what is happening down on the coast. Absolutely. You know, I I say that we are the off-beach Beach Patrol. (laughs) (laughs) And so what's it like for you, Julian, with your group and the connection you have with Beach Patrol? Well, I started as a beach patroller as well. Okay. Uh, so, but doing it on the streets, it's much more local. So we're on, um, often the cleans are on my street or in a street nearby. So you get to know other people locally, and that's really important. Um, especially some people, it's they do it for the social, in, social interaction, not just cleaning up the streets. Your shirts are quite visible. I'm assuming when you're out there doing the cleanups in your street, you've got your shirts on and you'd be, you know, a lot of people sort of walking around. Do you have many random conversations and people asking you what you're doing and I'm taking it, you get some good feedback and are you noticing any behaviour change? Sorry, I asked about mm. five questions in one. <laughs> <then>. <laughs> Look, I, I, if I can field some of those, I guess we're pretty tribal. We like to be identified by our, our T-shirts and then people come up and say, oh, I've seen some of you people walking around and what you're doing and we do get some God bless yous and things like that, which is, you know, we're welcome to have, but it actually also communicates a message and then people do come along and join us and, and take it from there, you know. It's, it really is a way of being visible. Are the streets getting cleaner? Like, are you finding if you're constantly doing a street, is everyone taking care of their own patch, like their own house, whether they're doing the clean-up with you or not? Are they starting to, you know, take a bit more pride in their... Street? Year on year I've noticed uh, a bit of a change in Elwood Village for example so where we might have been getting a thousand cigarette butts in an hour now we might be down to about 800 which is still 800 too many but you know it, it is an improvement I think that we've noticed. That's right as long as you've got that trajectory moving in the right direction you can continue pushing that way. Yeah. And there is always litter out there. So once you start picking it up on a monthly clean-up, you will pick it up every day. So like Tangaroa Blue, so if, if we're, all we're doing is picking up rubbish, that's all we ever, ever do. We limit ourselves to so three a day. So you can pick up rubbish at any time. It's great and you should do it, but you will get overwhelmed by the amount of rubbish once you start noticing it. Do you Just notice littering behaviour while you're actually out there in your T-shirts? And then when you haven't got your T-shirts on and you're kind of travelling incognito, do people behave differently when you've got your t-shirts or not your t-shirts on? I think that's a really good question. I think it does raise awareness when we are out there but um, we are known for saying, uh, excuse me, I think this might be yours and <laughs> return it to them. Yeah, yeah. little gentle reminders. Yeah. So now we haven't got new groups running in if I may run through the list. Mm. Um, so we've got Elwood, Port Melbourne, Caulfield, Werribee, Maribyrnong, Darabin, Ripponlea, Carrum, Cheltenham, Glen Waverley, and our overseas group, Cape Woolamai on Phillip Island. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it is a growing movement. There are groups soon to launch in Caulfield, North Hoppers Crossing and Hampton with, I hope, one in the Upper Yarra Valley. I'm meeting people there on Tuesday. That will be from the mountains to the sea. Fantastic. That's mm-hmm. that's wonderful. Julian? I uh, just want to remind people, next week is Clean Up Australia Day, Sunday, March 3rd. So we'll be out there at Caulfield Racecourse at 9.30 in the morning if anyone wants to join us. And there are plenty of other 
I love our street and beach patrol groups out there next weekend, so please find one and join in. Brilliant. We'll have to hook you up with um, our previous guests, um, Mark Schaller and, and Mick Turner, um, given they spend so much time down at Cape Woolamai, mm. they might know some people you can talk to. Very happy. And if people are interested, they can look us up on loveourstreet.com.au. Perfect. Thanks, Jill. I was about to do that. You saved me the trouble. And we'll put some links um, to what you're doing on our Facebook page as well. Thanks so much for coming in. Pleasure. Thank Thanks you. very much for having any us. Last, any last words you want to mention before? Open your eyes, see the letter, pick it up. Yeah. <laughs> and if someone does the wrong thing, you know, without obviously getting yourself into potentially trouble, just, you know, think this was yours is a, is a nice way to go. Hey, big shout out to Gretchen McQueen, who's in studio, but not on the mic for setting all of this up too. Absolutely. Thank you, Gretchen. It's been great to have you here. Thanks to uh, all our guests today, to Jill Sokol and uh, Julian Donlan, who we've just been speaking with, Mark Schaller and Mick Turner about the current RIPS exhibition at Brightspace, uh, Sam Sunderman for Wild Women in Surf and Dave Donnelly live in Antarctica on board the CSIRO, CSIRO vessel, The Investigator. Radiotherapy are about to come in and uh, run their show until 11 o'clock when the Einsteiners will be in for an hour of science. Next week's program, Ant's coming in. He's going to be talking about climate change. Uh, Dr Surf's going to be in and bringing us some special guests from Mums Who Surf. And uh, we'll be speaking with Jemima Robinson, Festival Director from the Ocean Film Festival, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. Thank you, Cade. I'm done. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Kent, so much. And, uh, yeah, have a wonderful Sunday. And get out there and enjoy Barbecue Day. We'll catch you next week for more Radio Marinara. Bye for now. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.